Welcome to another episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. My guest this time is Mr. Chester Thompson. Though Chester has played with everyone from the Fowler Brothers to Freddie Hubbard to Frank Zappa, he's best known as the touring drummer for the progressive rock supergroup Genesis. A jazz drummer from the start, Thompson talks about how his playing large arenas with Genesis and others actually makes it harder for him to get jazz gigs, and why his trio albums are his labor of love. If you're not yet a subscriber to Jazz Is, just log on to bestjazzmagazine.com. Also be sure to like us, subscribe to, and share our podcast with friends or write a review so that we can keep these podcasts coming your way. For now, enjoy a conversation with Chester Thompson. Welcome to uh, Jazz is Not What You Think. Uh, great to have you here. You're, you're in Nashville? Yeah, I am. We're in uh, uh, sunny Florida, uh, based in uh, Boca Raton. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's wonderful here. Um, so I've been, a, I've been a fan for a long time, been listening to you, and I think like most people, most listeners, maybe le- leaning a little bit more towards the progressive rock side, um, we know you as the drummer in Genesis. Yeah, I did that for a long time. When did you start playing jazz? Uh, when I was 12. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah my so- very first drum set lessons were actually all... Uh, my first teacher, he taught me by... We would sit and listen to albums by people like Cannonball and Miles and Art... And, uh, Art Blakey and Max Roach, and basically I would try to play along, and he would guide me through it and sort of taught me some of the finer points of what to listen to, uh, the difference in touch between, like, you know, playing the, the soul music stuff and, and learning how to, you know, how to ride the cymbal and count fours and taught me to sing the melodies so I wouldn't get lost during the solos and a lot of good stuff at that age. Wow. So what was your transition from jazz at that young age? To what? progressive rock. <laughs> well, I've always been curious. I've, I'm I'm not much of a purist in any of it. I mean, I have to say I love jazz dearly. It's it's again, like I said, it's it's my roots. Uh, but at the same time, I've I've never wanted to. Um, I mean, even even at that age, I started doing the local club scene when I was 13, mm-hmm. and there were a couple other drummers my age that were like pretty accomplished jazz drummers. It's pretty amazing. Baltimore's quite the city actually to not be a known music place mm-hmm. but um i don't know i love all kinds of music and i knew I, at that age even i wanted to do it for a living and i never wanted to miss a gig because i couldn't play a particular style of music mm-hmm. and um you know and, and the quickest way to get me interested was always something that i'd never done before and that I've just always found that even now i still love showing up for something that's brand new i, I, I love 
kind of, I just still love learning and growing. You know, what was it like for, uh, back in the late 70s when I'm assuming Phil or someone else said, you know, you may consider, you know, a position in Genesis to kind of fill in the shoes of someone, for instance, like a Bill Bruford, who obviously had some jazz passion, but was so deeply rooted in progressive rock back then. Well, um, at that point, I, I can't say, I, I mean, I'd seen Bruford's name, but I didn't really know anything about him. I'd heard a couple of things he played on. Uh, but you got to remember, I was coming off of a couple of years with Frank Zappa and then a year with Weather Report. Right. And, um, and pro, you know, in, in, the, in the interim, I, I did an awful lot of uh, recordings, mostly fusion kind of stuff. And um, actually, when I got the call from Phil, I was actually in the middle of a, a touring company of The Wiz. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd always wanted to play a Broadway show. And uh, that, that book was still made for drummers. And, um, yes, yeah, so I was in the middle of doing that. He found me because Alfonso Johnson, who I played with with Weather Report, was a big Wonderful. Phil fan. He was a Genesis fan, rather, because yeah. nobody knew Phil outside of Genesis at that point. Mm-hmm. And my first introduction to hearing the band was through Alfonso when we were with, with Weather Report. And um, so when he called, I knew who he was. But, you know, I'm sure you're aware that they were still pretty, it was pretty much a cult following at that point. They hadn't. Oh, yeah. The, the mainstream at all so it wasn't like i was getting a call to go play with these big mega pop stars by mm-hmm. any means mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i knew the music was pretty interesting so and so basically phil just called up introduced himself and asked if i wanted to gig uh, because he he had actually seen uh, what turned out to be the last weather report gig i had done as well plus he had heard some zappa stuff where i played with another drummer which i guess kind of piqued his instrument piqued his interest rather because he wasn't willing to just fully give up the drums either. <laughs> it was an interesting time uh, musically going on back on back then for a lot of people, and I, I fell under that, and that is was my transition from progressive rock to fusion. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and so for me, uh, you know, I was listening to Yes in Genesis. In fact, I remember uh, being in, co- in college and Trick of the Tail was just released. And... I bought a copy, and you know, back then we just didn't. It wasn't the from the information age like we have today. So I'm expecting to hear Genesis, and I knew that Peter Gabriel had left the band, and I I remember remember like it was yesterday putting the stylus and the toner onto the first track of Trick of the Tail, and the singing starts, and I'm like, wait, this this guy sounds like Peter Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just a lot higher pitch. <laughs> right, right, but it had that attitude. Yes, absolutely. Well, Phil had been singing all the background stuff, you know, with Peter up to that point as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, he was obviously very familiar with, you know, with the uh, not only the material, but, you know, just the whole attitude of it at all, which is which is pretty big. Yeah. The um, you know, you had mentioned Frank Zappa and I I certainly want to talk about Zappa a little bit. Uh, I was actually on the uh, uh, talking the other day to Ian Anderson, the leader of Flautist for Jethro Tull. Uh, another, yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another progressive rock band, and uh, uh, and uh, we were talking about Frank Zappa, and you know he he had some interesting things to say about Frank, uh, so interesting and cynical. But at the, <laughs> it, do do you have a, a favorite uh, Frank Zappa story? Oh goodness, uh, that's a whole another interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there there was so many crazy, wonderful moments working with Frank, you know, I, I feel very fortunate because it, it was a very happy period in his life, the band that I was in. 
And so we spent lots of time with the band. And, you know, even on the road, we'd hang out. We'd all hang out after shows and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just all kinds of craziness. Um, you know, he just he just loved being left of center. I mean, I, I just remember there was a song called Village of the Sun, this beautiful melody, really pretty song. And we've been going over it, doing it sort of like this beautiful ballad. And I don't think he couldn't quite live with that. So he sort of altered some chords and made part of it like a double time country field. And, and he kind of had this gleam in his eye, like, wait till they hear that, you know, <laughs> and that, that kind of set the tone, you know, for the way, the way a lot of things were done, but it was so challenging. Oh my goodness. That was difficult music. You know? Yeah. Well, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was fascinating, fascinating to say the least. Yeah. Frank was Frank. I think a lot of the magic people didn't get, which and why would they, was that Frank was an amazing teacher, which is why all of those bands were at that level, because he could he could always stretch you and take you to a place of playing something you couldn't play the day before, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in your weather report days, um, you had mentioned Alfonso Johnson, who I actually met for, met for the first time a couple months back uh, in person. Uh, I've been a fan of his for years. Who else was in the band at the time that was, you know, obviously, obviously Joe and uh, who who was who was in that band band during that time? Well, when I started, it was a, a percussionist from Brazil named Alirio, and mm -hmm. um, Alirio. Then later, it's changed, and Alex Acuna came in and played percussion. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and then um, I, if this was post Jocko. No, no, this is long before Jocko. This was before Jocko? Yes. Oh. So this was like Mysterious Travel Traveler days or? No, no. The, uh, the recording I did, when I when I started to play with them, they were, uh, had just completed uh, tail spinning. Okay. And so that's, I think Jocko played on two songs on Black Market. And uh, also... It was through a series of, of crazy misunderstandings and stuff. Uh, Nard and Michael Walden ended up playing on one and a half songs, <laughs> uh, which is a whole story in itself. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they put his name on, on the album for playing Black Market, which is not accurate. Um, right, right, because you were, you were on how many well, songs? Up? Well, I did the whole album except right. for Canon and right. half of Black Market. I had done a version and they tried it a different way with Narda. I guess they couldn't decide which they liked, so they spliced it in the middle. If you listen to it, there's a big edit where it changes feels. And you can hear the different room sound, different drum set, the whole deal. So basically, I played the first half and he played the second half going out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did not know that. Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Next time you hear Black Market, when you hear that track, you you recognize it immediately. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go listen to it and to it after <laughs> this afternoon. How about some of the uh, the um, you know what what's also been very interesting following your career is that that you know you've you really cover the spectrum. I mean, you, how many people have gone from Neil Diamond to to <laughs> Frank Zappa? Um, and, and, and so, and so, so what is it like to, you know, obviously you, you bring your own approach, you have your own style, but you're dealing with people that have, have, you know, very creative artists that have very different styles. styles. What's that like to work in that environment? Okay. I should probably preface it. Um, when I was in high school, for some reason I was fascinated with actors mm -hmm. and 
I actually stood outside the uh, the the classroom where they where the drama team sort of did their rehearsals and stuff. And I stood out there several times, too shy to go in. I'm pretty introverted. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I don't know. It, it it was always fascinating to me. So I think um, I think that part of me was allowed to express itself in music because I I love the idea of trying to be convincing in a different role, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, musically as, as opposed to in front of a camera or on a stage, you know, speaking. But, but that was, that's always been the fascination for me. It's like when I hear a style that I really love and, or I have a challenge because I need to learn a certain style, I really love digging in there and, and trying to, uh, find the subtleties and, and try to make it work, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I really genuinely, genuinely enjoy that, that, that really, uh, I think it kind of keeps me, in a in a pretty good place. Now, again, coming back to playing jazz, it's, there's nothing like it because, you know, I, I love the fact that it, it's the moment of, you know, as opposed to, you know, you can only rehearse and prepare so much at some point, it's it kind of, responding to what's going on around you, you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah I, I love i mean brazilian music's probably my favorite uh, music as far as hearing it playing it um you know the the whole genesis thing was the most different thing that was probably the most diff- difficult transition because the feel was just radically different from anything i'd done the odd time signatures weren't a challenge after being with zappa of course but but yeah just getting the right feel for that music that was a challenge for me yeah, yeah. well well I, you know I, as a a lover of pop rock and progressive rock and jazz mm-hmm. i've always found the time time changes uh to me that was what was so interesting about genesis mm-hmm. um you know in, adi- in addition to kind of the, these eclectic uh, lyrics there was also this this very musical but on multiple levels and that's where i i, I kind of when i think of think of you i think of that way where if you're a serious drummer, you're listening to Chester Thompson at a completely different level than someone who's just kind of likes music but doesn't really know much about instrumentation, and you can enjoy it on that level too. And I find, it, I, I find that the magic in certain musicians that are able to kind of, I don't want to say appeal to both worlds, but they are appreciated by it. Because obviously when someone is listening to your music uh, at a very, if you would, superficial level and enjoying it, it it's different than a drummer who's listening carefully to your time changes. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was, obviously people like you, because when you played in Genesis, it seems like most of the members in Genesis wanted you to play on their albums too. Mm-hmm. And so you did albums with Steve and with Tony, and what was it like kind of going from Genesis to some of the albums, the solo albums of some of these artists? Was, was it kind of an extension of the same thing? Or was it they were so familiar with your point you're playing they knew exactly and that there was a musical language there? Man, that's a great question. Um, well, actually, when I did when I did Tony's album, um, I think I, guess, I think maybe I did Steve's first. Now to think about it, I'm not sure. It was it was all very early on. I mean, it's not like they knew my playing that well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they heard something, felt something that that appealed to them, which I certainly appreciate it. No, and either in either case, it wasn't at all like working with Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because uh, the the amazing thing about about Genesis is that it's I think it's maybe the only true actual group where there is no leader as such. 
No weather report, the, the leadership was between Joe and Wayne, but still with Genesis, they were all equal, you know, sort of equal members in that respect. Uh, Phil's writing started much later, of course. But, you know, those guys had pretty clear ideas that I realized in the group setting, uh, they were willing to back off to a point and, and bring in those other elements that, were, that really made Genesis what it was. And um, whereas on their solo stuff, it's it's all on them. They they get to make all the decisions, and so you hear, you know, you hear those ingredients. It's it's kind of like you get to experience those those parts of the whole, but for the strength that they have individually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then together, like I remember at one point. Uh, once Phil started writing, it became an issue about who was getting the writing. I mean, part of why Steve Hackett left, he didn't feel like he was getting enough writing, and he is very much a composer. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess they didn't want that to happen again. So I uh, remember one of the albums, was it Then There Were Three? They they agreed to uh, bring in one completely written song each and then co-write everything else. And after that, they just decided to co-write everything. I mean, someone would have the majority or would bring the idea in, but they, they put it through the Genesis filter and, and gave it that sound. You know? and, wow. And, um, yeah, so, that you know, I mean, pretty complex machine. I mean, like I say, there are those hardcore progressive fans that, that didn't like the pop stuff. I think, I think they just learned how to write the same kind of quality, just in four and three and a half, four minutes as opposed to 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, you know, the um, the funny thing about some someone like Phil is that, you know, obviously he became one of the biggest, one of the biggest pop stars in music history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and some people, you know, especially critics, uh, if they're, particularly if they're prog rock fans, will say, well, you know, he sold out. That's, you know, he went into a completely different direction. My, my attitude has always been, did you ever stop to think that the reason he became, became one of the biggest pop stars is because of where he came from and what he can right. do musically? How do you, how do you feel about that? Exactly. I, I agree with you. I think it's, um, I think it's the quality of, of what they did. You know, my, my career, the, the wonderful thing about what I've done in the bands I've played in, uh, the thing I've had to, sort of really look at a few times is is um those groups that i spent the most time with that that were the most successful um they basically didn't compromise what they did mm-hmm. you know they were they did honest music you know different styles of course but but i think that honesty uh, was consistent you know and with genesis as well there were there were a couple of songs that were pretty silly uh that you know, was it was it you? Was it me? Thing <laughs> that you know, everybody got a good laugh out of that one, including the guys. Um, but that was that was meant to be fun, you know. Um, yeah, you know, music gets weird, man. When you start trying to judge it, and, and when you start trying, you know, when when we decide we know what somebody's intention was is, uh, then we're kind of being judgmental and usually wrong anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't you not like that kind of music in general? If you, if you, <laughs> if you don't like it, why would you want to review it? Right. Well, I think Frank had it right. Frank refused to uh, read or listen to any reviews of anything he did. 
Yeah, the publicist, the publicist would go crazy. You really need to read this review. We have this great review. No, Frank would say, I'm not interested. So as far as I'm concerned, it's one person's opinion. And if they didn't pay to, to get in, they don't have the right to review the show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, yeah, yeah that prob- uh, probably applies to those that didn't go out and buy the recordings either. Somebody sent it to them and asked for a review. And it's like, you know, I think they're honest reviewers. I think there are those. I mean, my least favorite is the reviewers that that you know are frustrated because they haven't written the great novel, and so there's just words, 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 which have nothing to do with whatever they're reviewing. You know, it just sort of reviews, well, reveals yeah. their frustrations. There are too many of those. Um, well, absolutely. And, and I've always I've always said, you know, the the one thing that I find interesting about reviews and critics is that you know they're sometimes I find. And I hope we're not guilty of that, but I'm sure every once in a while it slips through the cracks. Is we review something, something with the hope or the anticipation that the music was going to be something, and it wasn't what you what you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So because of that, somehow it didn't live up to its expectations. It didn't live up to your expectations, but and I see that happen a lot. And and so I agree. I, I agree with Frank. With Frank Zappa. Right. I mean, I I had a review recently, the the publication and reviewer will remain nameless, but they seemed more concerned with my history, uh, that it wasn't a pure jazz history. I don't know if they really heard the music. Right, right. You know, maybe they did. And that was, you know, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll always wonder maybe if I meet them one day, I'll I'll actually ask them. but, But, you know, yeah, it's like, I don't know what they expected, but just reading the review, I got. I think they were too consumed with, with my history. You know, I mean, I've got this trio thing, and it's a group. It's not. I mean, okay, my name's out front, but man, if 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 I lose one of those guys, I'm just going to go a totally different direction. You know, cause that, <laughs> well, because it's a, it's something. I mean, to be to, you know the real honest portion of that is, we started playing together. Uh, we spent a week playing for a million trombone players. There was this international trombone festival in, that happened in Nashville one year, and we were the rhythm section for the jazz portion of it. So that first week, you know, we played together that combination. We played, oh goodness, hours and hours every single day and just fell in love with, with the communication we had. And so we decided to, man, let's keep this going. And, you know, the, they're both younger than my sons, these guys. And <laughs> and they they sort of said to me one day, uh, "Do you mind if we use your name?" You know, <laughs> and it's like, which cracked me up. But it's like, you know, and I didn't want to say, "Well, man, it's like, you know, there's the cost of that is going to be everybody is going to expect it's my thing," you know. And I mean, and I guess I've got the name, I suppose. But, uh, but again, it it really is a group. It really is, you know. I mean, these guys, we we kind of naturally read each other, and it's it's fun. You know? Oh, it's a and, and and speaking of the new trio record, uh, one of my one of my close friends friends performs on that record, huh. and that is Kirk Whalen. Oh man, yeah, what a sweetheart of a guy. Man. And and uh, um, you, you ever uh, play with other Brazilian artists? I did some stuff with with Ayrto, uh, with Flor Purim, and also yeah. with Hermeto Pascual. Oh wow. Hermeto, yeah, that, that, he's a that giant. was a privilege. Oh my goodness! What a lot of uh, uh, American music listeners don't know: there's some 
there's a lot of great poppings where you could say, oh man, they, they this artist obviously listens to Hermeta, Hermeta Pasquale because he wrote such beautiful music. Mm -hmm. Well, I heard some stuff he wrote like way, way, way back in the day. And I would have thought it was like some of Zappa's big band stuff. And it was actually Hermeto. Yeah. Oh, no. He... There was an artist in Los Angeles who was, he was big with the Brazilians and didn't really crack the American market that I played with quite a lot. His name was Morcier Santos. And yeah, a, lot of, yeah, yeah. a lot of Brazilians regarded him as their teacher. And uh, yeah, I... man, he wrote incredibly beautiful music as well. I love great pop music, probably probably better than any music. But what I've learned is that that the consistent pop music is completely inconsistent. Not that jazz is as is so consistent, but I've learned over the years that there that there is more jazz that I listen to that I appreciate more because there's a certain le certain level of composition and musicianship and certainly improvisation. Whereas there's so much inconsistency in pop that one can't say I love pop music. Well, uh, uh, well, it's it's you're at the mercy of the trends. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it it's about the trends. I mean, I love England, you know, but the thing of the but what's trendy takes so much priority, importance, and and what groups succeed, and that's why you get so many sort of quick flash in the pan sort of things there because. You know, and what I learned from when I was working with Genesis, it was difficult to work there when they were growing up. You couldn't really do cover tunes and expect to get an audience to, to uh -huh. draw any, you know, get any kind of following. You had to be doing your own music, which is really healthy. Um, because when I was growing up, man, you had to be doing cover songs. You had to do what's on the radio if you want to work. <laughs> and uh, I think because of that, I think that was a healthy thing. So you do get this incredibly creative thing. Some of it's pretty out there in you know, a different kind of way from jazz being out there. But some of it's got, uh, you know, some of it's substantial. And there are certain groups that have kind of risen above the, the crowd and, and lasted forever. Things like the Who and, and, you know, stuff like that. And But then you get so many one-hit wonders in, in that kind of setting. And even here... Um, Whatever the trend is now, whatever the sound is, whatever the instruments are, um, I mean, at, at one point, you know, everything had to be electronic drums. You know, uh, mm -hmm. today it's sampled sounds. It's, um, you know, the good thing is e even some of the rappers and stuff are using live musicians now where that used to be totally programmed at one period. Mm -hmm. But again, like I say, it's, the trends seem to dictate so much of um, what the, the listener finally gets to hear. I don't, you know, whereas jazz, you know, I mean, smooth jazz, uh, there are those that kind of s seem to succumb to the, uh, the the trends. It has to be this. And there are those who just, you know, like, like Kirk, who um, just take it past the norm. You know, they they end up being the kind of guys that get imitated all the time. Yeah. And um, okay. so, yeah, I can totally, you know, I mean, I'm I'm always excited to hear the next Stevie Wonder record, for example. You know, it's like, Absolutely. I mean, you want to talk consistency? Oh my goodness! And um, but there's just not that many artists at that depth, at that level, that consistently. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, we, I think we all love Sting, we all love Peter Gabriel, um, but you know, there's, you know, sometimes you for economic reasons, if you want a deal, if you want to keep a deal, then you got to fit a certain uh, thing, I guess.
Yeah, and, and probably more so today than ever because we've seen it's really the, the industry has really contracted to the point where there's a, ha a handful of artists at the top and everyone else is so much farther down. Right, right. Um, but you're right. I mean, but and the, the problem that I, that I see is, you know, how many Stevie Wonders come along in a lifetime? Well, exactly. And so much of it is producer-driven instead of artist-driven now, too, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I guess it depends on the situation. But, um, you know, it's, it's nice if the artist is mature enough to be that clear about where they want to go and what they want to do as opposed to, you know, just fitting the mold that somebody else creates for them. Well, yeah, I, I, and it, of course, you know, I'm old. I'm old enough to see where producers made a huge difference in projects. Where it's where oh, yeah. you get four guys from from uh, Liverpool who are, <laughs> are obviously very talented. But when you stuck George Martin in there, you saw yeah, you saw exactly. magic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> was that, yeah, that, um, obviously, that's the ultimate example of that. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, Chester. Um, um, and again, I, I, I want to see that trio on the road. So wow. uh, maybe we'll have to make a couple phone calls. <laughs> well, I, man, I would certainly appreciate it. And well, you've got my number. So absolutely. Then, you know, absolutely. If I'm down that way, I would certainly uh, impose on you and try to get together. Yeah. I'm going to give you my contact information. You impose, you impose on me anytime. It was great talking to you. So, same here.